My sisters kind of got together. Since I was fighting a mutation, they were going to fight it along with me. So they became my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We had a Ninja Turtle-themed Christmas. Advances in lung cancer treatments over the last few years have made it possible to live with lung cancer for years after diagnosis. Living with lung cancer means different things to different people, but nearly everyone will tell you about the power of love that helps them through every day. I'm Diane Mulligan. And I'm Sarah Beatty. Today on the Living with Lung Cancer Hope with Answers podcast, we're sharing lung cancer love stories, tales of partners, family, and friends who bring joy, hope, and laughter to the experience of living with lung cancer. Lung cancer is a tough topic. It's a disease that affects patients, families, friends, co-workers. But first, it's a disease that affects people. The Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast brings you stories about people living, truly living with lung cancer, the researchers dedicated to finding new breakthrough treatments, and others who are working to bring hope into the lung cancer experience. One of the things we're lucky enough to hear over and over again when we're talking to people living with lung cancer is stories about the power of love, love as an action. We hear over and over again how husbands, wives, family members, and friends step into the overwhelming experience of living with lung cancer to offer support, encouragement, and help navigating this new world. Today, we are in for a treat. We're bringing you a handful of lung cancer love stories from people living with lung cancer. First up, Cowabunga! We'll let Frank McKenna tell this wonderful story about the support he got from his sisters. So I am very interested in hearing about your lung cancer love story because you have a kind of a different take, which is so much fun. Sure, it's good, good to be here today. Yeah, my story is, is a little different because um, I come from a, a, a big family. I had um, five sisters. Um, one of my sisters had passed away from cancer a few years ago. And so the, the, you know, my four sisters and I remained very close. And when I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and it being a, a mutation, I had never smoked. I was always healthy. I'm a personal trainer. I've been a personal trainer for almost 30 years. So it was quite a shock when I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. But um, since it was a mutation, we started to learn about what mutations were, what, what genetic mutations were and how these could, you could get lung cancer without smoking, without being in any environmental areas. And so we started to learn more and more about the mutation and I was diagnosed in July. So my family all lives in Pittsburgh. And when we went up for Christmas on that, in that December, I had just started my second line treatment for my lung cancer and I was doing very well. And because of that, my sisters kind of got together since I was fighting a mutation, they were gonna fight it along with me. So they became my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So they each <laughs> all four adopted one of the names of the Ninja Turtles. And or we had a Ninja Turtle themed Christmas where we all had T-shirts. I had bought T-shirts 
um, online Ninja Turtles. So they had the Ninja Turtles on it. And then everything was Ninja Turtle themed. The wrapping paper they used was Ninja Turtle. The, they bought me a Christmas tree that had Ninja Turtle ornaments on it. Um, just little knickknacks and things, hand towels, anything that they could get that had Ninja Turtle on. And we that became our theme for that Christmas was a Ninja Turtle Christmas because we were in this together and we were gonna fight this mutation together, me with my turtle sisters behind me. And that's kind of how we've always been kind of close knit, but, but this even brought us closer that we had that common goal that we were gonna fight for. And my sister who had passed away from cancer, she was on our minds as well, that we were doing this for her as well, that, that she was a, a part of this group and they were gonna be the Ninja Turtles to fight this mutation with me. And that was in 2016 and I've been doing great since then and um, everything has been, been good. My health has been good. So the Ninja Turtles, are working and it's keeping everything at bay with me. I love that. That's wonderful. You know, I think it's it's amazing how resilient people are and how they come up with such wonderful, unique ideas. Tell me, how did that help you through that difficult time when your sisters came up with this Ninja Turtle idea? It, it was it was great at that time because as I said I was diagnosed in in um, July of 2016 and the first targeted therapy I tried was unsuccessful and my cancer actually um, spread to different areas it grew where I had originally had areas and I, I was it was stage four with you know both lungs and my hip and my shoulder and my back and my groin and and thigh there were just different areas where I had the cancer. And when I started the second line treatment in early December, as soon as I took it the next day, I started to feel better. I started to get my strength back, my, my livelihood back. I felt like myself again. So by Christmas, that's when it was two, three weeks in and I was really starting to feel better. So to have that support and go up there, it was the first time I had seen them since the diagnosis. To have that support of everybody banding together with that common theme, it was just, it was something that you, you just, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. You just felt like the whole, you know, family was enveloping you in this big hug. And it was just this big, everybody coming together with a common theme and they made a theme out of it with the Ninja Turtle theme, just to kind of bring everything together. And it was just, it was really uplifting and really, you know, kind of give you that motivation that you're gonna keep going on and you're just gonna take this further and further. I love that. That's just, it's so creative and, and it is uplifting and it's just the kind of story we need to hear. So, you know, I'd love to know, tell me what living with lung cancer means to you and to those who love you. Living with lung cancer is, is and I've learned so much since being diagnosed with lung cancer. And, and the thing that you learn is that you can live with lung cancer, that it, it doesn't have to be, oh, this is the end. Now you have lung cancer. There are so many different therapies coming out and so many different targeted therapies and, and that are working with lung cancer patients. And they're discovering more and more all the time that, that it's it brought me to become more of an advocate for lung cancer, to kind of spread the word, to do what I can. As a personal trainer, I just began um, working with our healthcare system. We do virtual online um, exercise yoga and a wellness program for cancer patients that we just started last month. So it's enabled me to kind of be more of a voice of this is something that we can not only live with, but we can thrive through and we can make the best of our lives. And it doesn't mean we have to stop anything, but it just means that, you know, we have to be aware of what we have. We have to be aware of our situation, 
but we need to also take control of our life and control of what we're doing and educate and try to spread the word and try to motivate as many people as we can that this is, you know, not only, you know, a cancer that we have, but it's a cancer that we can live with and thrive through. Thank you so much. I always know when I talk to you, I'm just going to feel uplifted. I'm going to get something that's really cool and different. It's, it's just a, a joy to talk to you this morning. So thank you so much. That's good. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That lung cancer story was our pleasure to listen to. Oh, what a great story. Now, on to a love story featuring a friend. Lisa Goldman tells us about a friend of hers who stepped up to offer a shoulder to cry on when even Lisa didn't know she needed it. I think it's so interesting. Um, One of the things that we hear in conversations with people living with lung cancer is how some people kind of disappear or withdraw and and then some people come out of nowhere that maybe aren't the people you would expect. Absolutely. I, I hadn't given much thought to this before I was diagnosed. I'd never dealt with a serious um, health crisis or, or any kind of crisis, honestly. Um, and so I... I didn't know what to expect, but it is a story I've heard over and over again. And certainly my personal experience, even to this day, you know, almost seven years in um, the people that um, I've grown closer to, I wouldn't have expect necessarily expected. And, and the people that I was close to on the day I was diagnosed, um, some of those people have completely disappeared. And I don't have resentment or anything well ah, I'll be honest a little bit (laughs) you noticed (laughs) you know people that I thought I was very close with that um I don't think it but I don't I don't think it was mean-spirited it's just a life experience it's my observation that the folks that really um showed up or knew how to support me and it didn't necessarily mean a ton of time. It was just sort of what to say, how to say it, um, even if it's just one sentence, a one sentence text, um, were people that had some experience of their own to relate it to, um, whether whether or not they had dealt with cancer necessarily, uh, it wasn't necessarily the key, but it could have been some other major struggle in their lives. They just, um, they could relate somehow and, um, and, and knew how to be a good friend, honestly, in a way that was different than, than people that didn't have that experience. And so I'm sure that I also, uh, you know, pre-diagnosis failed to show up for some people because I didn't have this perspective. Um, and, and I'm different now, the way I respond when I hear um, about other things that people are going through, whether it's cancer or, somebody's kid that gets diagnosed with, you know, uh, autism or somebody gets in a car accident or their spouse has a major surgery or whatever it is, you know, I just, I, I, I've learned helpful and unhelpful ways to respond. Mm. So this is really a lung cancer love story about bringing your own sense of lived empathy yeah. with you as you, you know, support, support your loved ones. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So my friend Tasha, um, 
has never been diagnosed with cancer. Um, but her, her father-in-law had, um, had a sudden diagnosis of, of brain cancer a few years earlier. And so I think she brought that with her, that experience and just her professional, um, job is as helping people with parenting skills. She's sort of a social worker. And so she has a lot of that empathy built in both professionally and, and personally. And, and she just showed up at my house one day back when people could show up at houses. I remember those <laughs> days. Those were great days. <laughs> it's like crazy to think about. I let her in. She sat on my couch. It was insane. Wow. And, um, and I'm not one who easily cries for whatever reason. I just, I, I don't know if I ever cried. Uh, I was just kind of in shock at my diagnosis in the hospital and, and then went into how to, how to deal with it and how to handle my side effects and whatnot. And she just sat there and, and I can't even remember exactly what she said, but she was just, I think she was just sort of acknowledging like, this is really hard and this is really scary and I'm really scared and it's totally fine if you want to express that and cry with me here. Like, I mean, I couldn't cry on cue, but something about the way she approached it, unafraid and non-judgmental and just with all the patience and time in the world. Yeah, that was it, you know, she, she didn't bring a casserole or flowers or any kind of gift, but that was the biggest gift. It was like just such a relief, a weight lifted off my shoulders that I could spend. I mean, I probably was only actually crying for a few minutes, but it was, it was so, it was such a loving thing. And I, I will forever be grateful for her, the, the relief that that brought and allowed. And I, and I, I wasn't able to do that with anybody else. And, and I had no idea that was coming, you know, it was just, it was a real gift to not try to fix it, not try to tell somebody you're strong and you can get through this, but to say like, wow, that's intense. Like, mm -hmm. let's, let's just take a moment and sit with that. And it sounds sad and depressing, but it wasn't, it was beautiful. And it was such a relief. Mm. What a wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I, I, um, I think it's a, maybe a roadmap for someone else thinking, I don't know what I can do. Um, you know, but if you have that ability to just sit with someone where they are, um, what a gift that can be. Such a gift indeed. What a privilege to be able to listen to these lung cancer love stories. Up next, a couple stories about some very, very good husbands. Are you enjoying the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast? Consider making a donation to help LCFA produce this resource for patients or anyone seeking answers, hope, and access to updated treatment information, scientific investigation, and clinical trials. Just text LCF America to 41444 to join in this important fight. Facing a major health issue is 
always a family affair. For our next two lung cancer love stories, we feature people living with lung cancer whose husbands found just the right way to help. Terry Connoran's husband managed to figure out how to help her feel like a kid again. I want you to tell me this fabulous lung cancer love story. Okay, I got to tell you, it was fabulous. What happened was I was horribly sick and I felt miserable. And my husband started going through his mind as far as how he can make me feel better. He said, well, you know, how about that trip to Europe? And I'm like, I don't want to get on a plane. Well, what about the beach, which he loves and I hate? And what about all these other wonderful opportunities? I was like, oh, I don't know. I said, well, and I played the big card because he always has hated going to like amusement parks and doing that sort of stuff. I said, I always want to go to Disney World. And it's like, Disney World? It's like, yeah. So he bought us not only a trip to Disney World, he bought us both season passes because what he wanted to do was make sure not only did I get to go ahead of time, that I wouldn't wear myself out and I would have something to look forward to after the treatment. So we ended up going, I think it was like eight times that year. And every time I got to visit Mickey and I got to see all the different parts and everything. And now he is the biggest Mickey fan and <laughs> Disney's kind of become our little extra happy place. See, I love, love, love this story because I love Disney World myself, which is hysterical because I don't love crowds and I don't love people and I'm not a huge amusement park fan, but there's something about Disney and there's something about your sweet husband trying to find a way to make you feel better. And that's an amazing gift. It was so wonderful because when you go to Disney, I mean, you can't help, but I mean, I felt like it was six again and I could put stars in my eyes and I really could just be in my happy, magical place and just see it and be a little kid. And they would still call me princess. And, you know, and it made me laugh and made me smirk because I know what I look like and how I felt, but I got to be six all over again. So when we got to see the fireworks over the castle, you're standing there and just feeling six years old, like you're just I don't know, three feet tall and looking up and watching all the fireworks and all the happiness and just being a princess right there in that moment. And it just not filled my heart, my happiness, and just totally made me feel fabulous. That is an incredible lung cancer love story. Thank you so much, Terry, for sharing with us. It's a pleasure to share it because it just makes me so happy. Thanks for listening. I love how Terry's husband helped her feel like a princess and found a new favorite vacation destination in the process. Now for our last lung cancer love story. Carol Burkell tells us about how her husband put his love of exercise and nutrition to work, taking care of her after her diagnosis. I am so glad you're here with us today. You're one of our favorite people, and I want to hear about your lung cancer love story. Well, thank you, Diane. I'm happy to share my lung cancer love story. And it happens to be about my husband of 37 years. He's been wonderful. And when I was first diagnosed in January of 2019 with advanced stage lung cancer, I'd also developed pneumonia at that time. And I was not able to talk. And when we got the diagnosis, 
my husband offered to be the one to tell my dad, who was 93 years old at the time, and give him that news. And that was a tough conversation to have because my, my poor dad had just lost, my mother had just died four months ago, but my husband, you know, stepped up and offered me to be the one to tell him that. And so that's really showing that he, that he loved me to, to, to do that. So that was really something. To be the voice and have those difficult conversations. I mean, that truly is um, somebody who loves you, who's going to step in and, and put themselves in that position. But tell me, I also learned from you that he had an interesting way of helping you get through all of this. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, when I was first diagnosed and we met with my oncologist and he told me, you know, it's, it's fine for me to get back out and exercise. Once I got over my pneumonia, um, my doctor encouraged me to get back out and exercise. We got home and my husband said, well, I have a job to do. I need to make sure and keep you um, hydrated, give you enough nutrition and make sure you exercise every day. And so basically he said, it's like I'm running a marathon and he's going to be my crew. And, and that was funny because he's, he's a marathon runner. And so he's used to running long races and having people give him water, make sure he has food and keep him going. And so that's what he did for me, especially in those early stages when I was going through chemo and not feeling very well. So he, he did that for me. <laughs> I love the analogy of a marathon, but one thing that marathon runners have is they can turn around and kind of look behind them and see how far they've come. Um, when you're in the marathon where you have any type of chronic disease, but with lung cancer, it's so important for somebody who can help you see that you have come so far and use that as inspiration to keep you going, right? That's right, because when we'd be out walking or doing a kind of a walk run, he would remind me and say, now a week ago, you couldn't do this big hill, but now you're doing it. So you're getting stronger. So that, that gave me encouragement. That's for sure. I love that. So tell me what living with lung cancer means to you and to those who you love. Yes. Well, what uh, living with lung cancer means to me is I'm number one, I'm lucky to be here. I'm glad to be here because of all the recent research and treatments. And so I feel like since I am here and living with lung cancer, I need to make it count. And so I, I spend as much time with my family and friends as possible. And um, I also spend a time on my new career. I try to make it count. And my new, I started up a new business as a career coach and I help people find jobs. And then also the other thing, you know, living with lung cancer, um, spending time with the Lung Cancer Foundation of America and advocating for more research. So I feel like since I'm here living with lung cancer um, and we need more research, I want to, you know, help out. So trying to make this, make it count. And you are making it count like so many of our other speakers, bureau members, and those people that are out there who are advocating for lung cancer funding for research. It's so very important. Carol absolutely nails it, explaining why research is so central to living with lung cancer. Thank you to Carol Burkell, Lisa Goldman, Terry Connoran, and Frank McKenna for sharing their lung cancer love stories. And thank you for listening to the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. Join us again next time. Make sure to subscribe to the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. You'll be notified every time a new episode is available. So visit us online at lcfamerica.org where you can find more information about the latest in lung cancer research, new treatments, and more. You can also join the conversation with LCFA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.